Wednesday the 29th of November I know that some of you probably had a very bad night's sleep and so we're going to pray for you a prayer a prayer to St. Peter Damien for insomniacs in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit St. Peter Damien you were an insomniac for a long period of time you understand how difficult it is to function after a sleepless night how hard it is to be kind understanding and loving when you are exhausted How frustrating it is to be tired and unable to do your best. Please intercede for us before the throne of God and ask that if it be his will, we may be able to sleep at night and no longer suffer from insomnia. If it is not God's will at this time, we ask for the grace to use any sleepless hours as a time of prayer, offering that sleeplessness for the souls who most need God's love and mercy. Amen. I know some morning shows they wake up like super cheery like hey guys who's refreshed and ready to start the day and I know many of you are but I know some of you are not and we're praying for you on a Wednesday morning especially Wednesday after a weird week last week it is the sunrise morning show I'm Matt Swaim Anna Mitchell has news Paul Lockman at the controls Travis has our video feed up and running you can see it in the show notes at sunrise morning show We'll talk to Colleen Pressprich about a Jesse Tree project for families. This is the time uh, to set those projects up because Advent's just a few days away. Father Rob Jack will talk about the general and particular judgments, a highly relevant topic to explore here in the wake of the Feast of Christ the King. Speaking of watching and waiting in Advent, Gary Zimak will look at Mark's Gospel and what we see about watching and waiting there. And then Mike Aquilina continues our series on the cities of God, the cities that were of high importance in the early church. So, stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is now pulling out of his planned trip to the COP28 climate meeting in Dubai. The Vatican said the Pope is continuing to deal with the effects of the flu as he recovers from it, along with lung inflammation. The cancellation of this trip was at the request of his doctors. The 86-year-old Pope was due to travel to the Middle East this weekend for three days. The Pope agreed to stay home, quote, with great regret. The Vatican is looking into ways that he can still join the discussions remotely. Meanwhile, the Holy Father did participate in his general audience today, continuing his catechesis series on apostolic zeal. He also appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza. Twelve more hostages have been released by Hamas as part of the extended ceasefire deal with Israel. Yesterday's swap came after a temporary pause in fighting was extended for an additional two days. In exchange, 30 additional Palestinian detainees were released from Israeli prisons. It's hoped that more swaps are on the horizon, even as both sides are claiming there have been violations of the ceasefire agreement. The Pentagon says missiles fired from a rebel-controlled area of Yemen in the direction of a Navy warship were not actually intended for the vessel. Trey Thomas reports. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder. Uh, I can't 
speak for what the intended targets target was uh, and would have to refer you to the, the Houthi rebels to talk to that. The missile landed near the USS Mason and a commercial tanker, but the Pentagon assessed they weren't singled out. I'm Trey Thomas. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter will be buried in her hometown of Plains in South Georgia today. The private service and burial follows a tribute service held yesterday at a church on Emory University's Atlanta campus. All living first ladies, former President Bill Clinton and President Joe Biden attended the service, along with hundreds of others. Jimmy Carter also made the trip to Atlanta for the tribute. The former president and Mrs. Carter were married for 77 years. Pope Francis has sent a message to the International Development Law Organization, stressing the importance of laws that protect the human person and authorities who enforce them. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Holy See stands at the side of all those who struggle to strengthen the rule of law, human rights, and social justice so that their efforts may show new pathways of hope towards a more supportive, just, and peaceful future for all nations of the planet. That's what Pope Francis emphasized in his message addressed to the Assembly of the Parties of IDLO, the International Development Law Organization, marking its 40th anniversary at a meeting here in Rome. The objective of the intergovernmental institution, the Pope recalls, is to promote the rule of law in order to move towards peace and sustainable development, encouraging different initiatives to ensure that justice is accessible to all, especially the most disadvantaged in society. In his message, the Pope also recalls that justice is a prerequisite for achieving social harmony and universal fraternity that we need so much today. And it's a virtue necessary for building a world in which conflicts are resolved only in a peaceful manner, without the will of the strongest prevailing, but the force of law instead. The Pope continues in noting that, unfortunately, we're far from achieving these goals. The increase in violence in the world, the consequences of climate change, corruption, and inequality also do not justify in any way even the slightest exception, not even in times of crisis, to the application of the rule of law, which is at the service of the human person and meant to protect human dignity. Pope also notes that climate change is also a matter of international justice because the degradation of the planet not only prevents peaceful and harmonious coexistence in the present, it also compromises to a large extent the integral progress for future generations. And a church in Oregon has the Department of Justice on their side in a lawsuit over their feeding the homeless. The town of Brookings passed an ordinance banning the church from feeding the homeless more than two days a week after neighbors complained. St. Timothy's Episcopal Church filed a suit claiming their freedom of religion was being infringed upon. The town denied that it was limiting the church's expression of faith. But now the DOJ is on the church's side, citing a federal law, the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, which prohibits placing, quote, unjustifiable burdens on religious exercise. All right. So this is where I get very fascinated. And I'm, I never know if I'm like messing up the conversation when it comes to religious freedom questions, mm-hmm. because I don't know if you were listening to the gospel last week, you know, when we were hearing about all the things that the sheep were doing and the goats were not doing. Right. So... 
I suppose there are just pure secular reasons to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, you know, give drink to the thirsty, visit the prisoner, mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But my primary reasons are not secular humanitarian. Right. My primary reasons for doing those works of mercy come from the Lord. Yeah. So... Because uh, I want to be a sheep on that last day. I'd rather be a sheep. Yeah. Uh, but the, the question is, for a Catholic, how do you separate anything from <laughs> your religious motivations if you take the church seriously yeah. as informing every aspect of your life? Yeah. Like, what else are we not allowed to do, according to the government? What else do we... I mean, you can stand up for all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and cite your I faith could as open a, a whole can of worms on the yes, idea of religious freedom that I've been learning in my Catholic It's a postmodern, post enlightenment construct. Well, freedom of religion was set up as freedom from Catholicism. Freedom it was. in quotes. It absolutely was. And it was freedom from the established limit of a state religion never intended to make it to where your church couldn't do things for the poor. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. But here we are. But here we are. But here we are. In postmodern, secular enlightenment, Protestant-run <laughs> America. Here we are. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Being Catholic. <laughs> Continue to shine that light, Catholics. Continue to shine that light. Today is Wednesday, November the 29th. We're happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN. It's nine past. Colleen Pressprich is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's got a new book from our Sunday visitor called The Jesse Tree for Families. Colleen, good morning. Good morning. So first off, what is the Jesse Tree tradition and why is it done during Advent? Well, the Jesse Tree tradition is actually dates back all the way to the Middle Ages um, when you know, priests and theologians kind of partnered with artists to help a majority illiterate population understand and learn the story of salvation, right? So the Jesse tree is basically Jesus's family tree. It's a way to visibly and tangibly depict God's presence among his people, drawing us back to him from the fall of Adam and Eve all through the generations up to Christ. Um, Over, you know, centuries, it sort of became tradition to go through the Jesse tree during Advent as a way to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Savior. Yeah, to see that the fullness of time come into realization. Why do you think this is especially appealing to children? Well, I think there's there's several reasons. Um, the Jesse Tree is an opportunity for them to meet people, right? Um, children, especially young children, are hugely relational, mm-hmm. right? Their worlds um, revolve around people and faces and stories. Um, and so the Jesse Tree kind of draws them into the story of... God's family, in a way. Um, The Jesse tree also has kind of this concrete, tangible aspect to it, because typically the way you do it is that you read, you know, a reflection, a story, and then you take an ornament with the symbol from that story and you hang it on your tree. 
So you're kind of showing in a very concrete way the progression of time towards Christmas, Mm. um, which definitely helps kids. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You must be a Montessori teacher. You sound like one. (laughs) <laughs> I I was a Montessori teacher before kids. That's yep. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so there's a lot of Montessori in my books. Well, yeah, that was where I was going to take it next. Um, tell us about how you have set up this book to help parents teach their children about the family tree of Jesus. Well, so the book is set up to be very, very easy to use and very open and go. Um, so for every single day... Starting December 1st, you read just a very short reflection on where you meet one of the members of Jesus' family at a moment in time when they encountered God. And then um, on the next page, there's um, notes for parents, because I know that, you know, a lot of parents like myself didn't grow up in, you know, practicing Catholic homes. And so maybe this idea of talking with our kids about faith Um, Maybe this idea of, you know, teaching them things that we don't necessarily feel confident in um, can be a little intimidating. So I wanted to give parents lots of context, lots of ideas for um, these are some ways you can approach this with your kids. Um, So that's all there to just sort of help inspire confidence, to help those parents feel, you know, as capable as they truly are to be the first teachers of faith of their kids. Um, And then there's a set of conversation starters. Um, These aren't meant to be, you know, like question and answer like in school, but rather ways to draw your child out and to start those conversations about faith in a way that is um, relaxing, that is conversational, right? So our family tends to use them like around the dinner table, but you could do it in the car on the way to carpool or you know, throughout the day, just to get talking about faith. And uh, speaking of those ornaments, um, there is a very handy book jacket that comes with this paperback. And uh, for those of you who are watching the video stream, you can see me unfolding this book jacket that has all of the ornaments on it. And um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about these illustrations and um, and and really how the ornaments fit into this whole into this whole Jesse tree tradition. Yeah, absolutely. So for every you're right there's there are actually two sets of ornaments included with every book. One is done beautifully on that nice thick dust jacket. Mm-hmm. There's a second set in the back too, so you kind of have two options to work with. Nice. Um Every single ornament has a symbol on it. That symbol corresponds to one of the illustrations. Um, So, like, for um, Joseph, there's a, you know, illustration of his coat is the symbol. Um, For Isaac, it's a ram's head. Um, Many of these are just very traditional symbols for the people that the story is about. Um, and then really you take the ornaments, you can use them as is, cut them out, punch a hole in, add a ribbon, hang it on your tree. Um, or, you know, um, Amy Heisey, who is the illustrator, um, has a great video up on her YouTube channel of all of the ways 
that you can kind of turn those ornaments into heirloom quality ornaments, most of which with simple, simple Mod Podge um, and like wood tree slice ornaments. That's what I did. It took 10 minutes. Um, They came out beautiful. Um, So it's a, yeah, we wanted it to be something that families could just kind of have everything they needed. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Colleen Pressprich. You can find her book, The Jesse Tree for Families, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Got just a couple of days before the Jesse Tree begins. Like, what's the day today? The 29th? It's like the day after tomorrow. So hurry up and get a copy if you want to do the Jesse Tree with your family. We got headlines coming up next. It's 16 past. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, helping people grow in their love and understanding of God. Okay, I've been a Catholic for five years, but I suffered under a lot of things due to my Protestantism as a Pentecostal, and I just want to personally ask God to bless you for your ministry, for everything you do, and the help that you give people. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is now pulling out of his planned trip to Dubai for the COP28 climate meeting due to his health complications over the weekend. The Holy Father did participate in his general audience today, continuing his catechesis series on apostolic zeal. And 12 more hostages have been released by Hamas as part of an extended ceasefire deal with Israel. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, in reference to the question of the word of the year being authentic, mm-hmm. Anna Mitchell, I feel like we should be upfront about some stuff here on the Sunrise Morning Show. So okay. a story broke this week, uh, Paul Lockman was all over it, uh, about uh, Sports Illustrated. I don't know if you saw this. Oh, the AI stuff? Uh, how they were publishing stuff apparently from, and they're still kind of like going round and round, so I'm not sure what happened. Uh, AI-generated authors. Right. Uh, AI-generated profile pictures and AI-generated articles and fake people mm-hmm. doing these things. 
So I just want people to know that uh, Anna Mitchell and I are not robots. We are not deep. Fakes. We are not robots. We're not you know some kind of like a algorithm. I feel like there's probably some clues that let you know that. Uh, but I do want to be upfront that neither one of us goes by our real names on the air. This is very true. So my name is technically John Matthew Swaim. Mm-hmm. My first name is technically John. I've gone by Matt my whole life because my father is John. Right. And you are Anna Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You were born Anna Mitchell. Mm-hmm. It is but my you, maiden name. But your maiden, that's your maiden Although I took my maiden name as my middle name. As your middle I name. I think officially. So you and I, I both going by our middle names. In a way. Yeah. In a way. Just want to make that clear so we're upfront and authentic. But also kind of a reminder. It is funny that people think Will's last name is Mitchell. <laughs> that is funny. Will Mitchell. Sorry, Will. I, I think you're the only one who really calls him Will, too. Yeah. No, that's not true. You changed his name also. He Got changed married his and name. he changed his first name. <laughs> it's 21 minutes past the hour. are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. A very common Roman Latin name is Gaius. In the New Testament, this name belongs to a fellow Christian whom John praises in his brief third letter. It seems this Gaius was a very generous person. He was kind to strangers who came to visit, on a mission to spread the word of the gospel. It is a window to life in the early church. As we so often see in Paul's letters, Christians opening their homes to missionaries like Paul and the visitors to this Gaius. We know, for example, that Paul stayed with the Christians Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth and later in Ephesus, and he later on stayed with a man named Jason in Thessalonica. On the other side of the spectrum from figures like Gaius, there were members of the church not as generous. John mentions one of them. His name was Diotrephes. John describes him as someone who likes to put himself first. John plans to visit Diotrephes and speak to him. We should take Gaius as our model of generosity. For Sacred Heart Radio... I'm Father Timothy Shear. It's 23 minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati. And uh, you can hear it on the drive home if you listen in our area. And he, of course, joins us from time to time here on the Sunrise Morning Show to unpack uh, various pieces of theology and liturgy and devotion. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. Well, according to a lot of stores and radio stations, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and everybody's talking about chestnuts and Frosty the Snowman and everything else. Why would you and I be talking about the Last Judgment this time of year? 
Well, we recognize this is, first of all, the last week of the Church's year. Our Church year begins on the first Sunday of Advent, and so this is the last week, and then during that time, the Church wants us to reflect on these last things, and the last things are that Basically, one, we're going to die, we're mortal, and so our earthly life will come to an end. And at the end of that earthly life, we then go through a judgment. God will look at our life, we'll present our life to God, and we will either get the gift of everlasting life with God in heaven, we will be separated by God forever uh, in hell, or we will be purified in purgatory, which after a a sufficient amount of time, however you measure spiritual time, we would then be uh, brought to heaven with God. And so those are the things they keep, we keep in mind, because we recognize this life, this world, while it is very important and very beautiful, it is not the last word. Because we are both body and soul, we are destined for something greater. We are indeed. And, you know, even just the mention of those four last things uh, just leaves me running to divine mercy because you know i i think that everybody would if they were honest with themselves think to themselves i don't want to do either the particular or the general judgment personally <laughs> you know, i'd rather That's skip right. those if i could well and the thing is is there was there was a lot of discussions uh early on in the period of the church in the middle ages as to what happens when we die because we know even though we die the world keeps going. Jesus hasn't fully come in glory. And so the question we ask is that when we die, do we actually receive uh, either the gifts or punishment from God, or do we just kind of hang around eating donuts waiting for Jesus to come in again, and then we go through the judgment? And the thing is, one of the problems is that time in, in the spiritual world isn't the same as time in the material world. And the question then is, okay, well, what do we say? And it was Pope Benedict XII who came up with this doctrine, who actually reinforced the doctrine, that at the moment of our death, we go through a particular judgment. In other words, we don't just wait around until Jesus comes in glory. At the moment of our death, we either receive the gift of everlasting life in heaven, or we're lost from God forever in hell, or we're purified. And so the, th- the particular judgment basically happens at death, and when our soul separates from our body. And so it is a judgment, and the judgment comes not in terms of like a court of law where we have basically the devil as the prosecuting attorney and, and God as our uh, advocate. No, what happens in death, and what we believe happens, because none of us have gone and come back and told, told people, is that when we die, our life is before God, warts and all. And in that life, we don't try to make excuses or rationalize. We recognize that death, this is the life that we've lived. And that life, if it's with God in a perfect way, then we will be united with Him in heaven, because we're ready for that. If we die and we're not perfect, we still have uh, guilt, we still have unresolved sins that we have committed that must be purified, because to be in God's presence, we must be absolutely pure. We have this period of mercy and preparation after death, and this is a sign of God's mercy, because if you're not ready when you die and you don't have purgatory, you're stuck, you know? Yeah, well, as I like to say, if you aim for heaven and miss, you get purgatory. If you aim for purgatory and miss, well, I think you know. Yeah, that's right. And and the thing is, is today people, we live in a world in which no one judges anybody. And even when they say, well, God's my ultimate judge, 
the question I ask is, do you really believe that? Uh, that in, in a way that, again, God's not arbitrary. He's not, oh, don't get God on a bad day. Oh, if he's on a bad day, everybody goes to hell. No, because God doesn't work that way. The question is based on how, how have we lived a life faithful to God. And it's different than the final judgment. Because, well, it's not going to change our state in terms of if we died and we ended up separated from God to heaven, we're going to still be separated at the end of the world when Jesus comes. The difference is the resurrection of the body, that when we uh, go through the final judgment, what happens is, is we are judged before God, body and soul, and we take our final definitive place in the kingdom of God. And that's the final judgment, or, or the general judgment. And this is something that oftentimes we don't think about, because again, we recognize with the immortality of the soul, we receive our relationship with God at death, but our definitive place doesn't happen until the end of the world. Now, does that mean, for instance, okay, when I die, I'm in this place, and let's say a bunch of other people are worse than me, and I get bumped up down to the field seats instead of being way up in the cheap seats, you know? We don't believe that, because, again, it's a question of where we stand in relation to God. And judged body and soul is really a little different than just being judged in our soul. Well, and as you mentioned at the very beginning of this, we don't know how spiritual time works, <laughs> right? That's right. Uh, so it could be that for uh, everybody, it feels like a particular judgment followed immediately by the general judgment. I mean, it could be that that's how it feels. Nobody knows, because as you well, said— Well, the question, that's knows. a big difference between Catholics and Protestants. Catholics, right. are, you know, Protestants believe the end of the world, everything happens, boom, at the moment of death. We don't. We believe there's still some time in between where our souls can be purified and we can then be ready to go see God. But as you said, the question of spiritual time, or what the medievals called the Avum, is very unclear. But the Church teaches there's two judgments. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Father Rob Jack. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. At the request of his doctors, Pope Francis has canceled his trip to Dubai this weekend for the COP28 climate meeting. The Holy See Press Director, Matteo Bruni, released a statement saying, quote, Even though the Holy Father's general health situation has improved in relation to the flu and respiratory tract inflammation he has been suffering from, his doctors have asked the Pope not to undertake his scheduled visit to Dubai in the coming days, end quote. The 86-year-old Pope was due to travel to the Middle East this weekend for three days. The Pope agreed to stay home, the Vatican says, with great regret. Bruni maintained that the Pope's condition is good and stabler. The Vatican is looking into ways that he can still join discussions remotely. The Holy Father did participate in his general audience today, continuing his catechesis series on apostolic zeal. He also appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza so that all the hostages might be freed and the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. Meanwhile, 12 more hostages have been released by Hamas as part of the extended ceasefire deal with Israel. Yesterday's swap came after a temporary pause and fighting was extended for an additional two days. In exchange, 30 additional Palestinian detainees were released from Israeli prisons. It's hoped that more swaps are on the horizon, even as both sides are claiming there have been violations of the ceasefire agreement. 
The Holy See has released the Pope's December prayer intention and video asking for prayers for people with disabilities. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Let us pray that people with disabilities may be at the center of attention in society and that institutions offer inclusion programs that enhance their active participation. In the video, the Pope acknowledged that people with disabilities are among the most fragile among us. Some of them suffer rejection, he added, that is rooted in either ignorance or prejudice, which then marginalizes them. Pope Francis therefore urged civil institutions to put in place projects that provide access to education, employment, and places where they can express their creativity. Along with the inclusion of people with disabilities in society, the Pope said they need to be accompanied with big hearts. It means changing our mentality a little and opening ourselves to the abilities and talents of these people who are differently abled, he said, both in society as well as in the life of the church. The Pope invited the local churches to work toward increased access and involvement as integral members of parish life. Creating a completely accessible parish does not only mean eliminating physical barriers, he said. It also assumes that we stop talking about them and start talking about us. The Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network, which prepares the Holy Father's monthly intention, released a press statement to note that December 3rd marks the International Day of People with Disabilities. Cardinal Michael Cherney, Prefect of the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, said the December prayer intention helps us recognize the mystery each person is. Our very often non-inclusive societies, said Cardinal Cherney, need a common and concrete commitment so that following Jesus' example, everyone's dignity might be respected. I'm Devin Watkins. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter will be laid to rest in her hometown of Plains, Georgia today. The private service and burial follows a tribute service held yesterday at a church on Emory University's Atlanta campus. Former President Bill Clinton and President Joe Biden, as well as Jimmy Carter, were there for that tribute. The former president and Mrs. Carter were married for 77 years. A Russian court has extended the pretrial detention of an American journalist accused of spying. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich was arrested on espionage charges back in March. Russian news agencies report a court in Moscow added two months to his pretrial detention period yesterday. That means his detention will continue through January 30th. Gershkovich still has to go to the trial after that. He's accused of collecting secrets about the Russian military, which he, the Wall Street Journal, and the U.S. government all deny. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 35 minutes past the hour. The Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What are the effects of the sacrament of matrimony? The effects of the sacrament of matrimony are, first, to sanctify the love of husband and wife, second, to give them grace to bear with each other's weaknesses, third, to enable them to bring up their children in the fear and love of God. Because the sacrament of matrimony is a sacrament that persists until death, grace is present to it from the very beginning until the very end of their lives. And the grace, primarily, is to help the man and woman get to heaven. I love to look at an engaged couple and to say to them both, you are each other's path to heaven. You see, that's the primary grace that people receive in the sacrament of matrimony. But there's also that grace which helps them to bear with each other's weaknesses. And so let us recognize the great gift of the sacrament of matrimony so that in appreciating it, we may keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's always great to head to the Philadelphia area to catch up with Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com, who's got a book called Finding Peace in Advent. Gary, good morning. Hey, Matt, good morning. So, I mean, you could have just done Give Up Worry for Advent, like you did Give Up Worry for Lent, because I don't know about you, but uh, here at the beginning, with Advent getting ready to start, everybody I know is stressed out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. the way in your world, but everybody I know has got a hundred million things going on. Exactly, and, and it only gets worse as as we get closer to Christmas. It's for, the potential is there to become extremely stressed out, but I believe that we are able to find peace during the Advent season, and it it really begins by getting off to a good start. I think. Well, and you have a good verse to kind of. Uh, shift back that perspective from us, and one comes from our Lord Himself. I wonder which one you wanted to focus on today. Matt, the verse I'm going to look at comes from the Gospel for the first Sunday of Advent. I'm going to look at Mark chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus said to His disciples, Be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. You know, one of the, um, the the major focus of the Advent season is on the second coming of the Lord. We know He's coming back again. A lot of times we get lulled into a sense of complacency, though, or, you know, a disbelief that it's really going to happen during my lifetime. And, and oftentimes we just, as a result, we kind of give up and just get sucked into the craziness of the season, stop trying to prepare because, well, you know, He's probably not going to come again. But I think we, we always need to remember that if we're looking, if we are watchful, and we certainly should be preparing for either the Lord to come again or for us to meet Him in judgment upon our death, whichever comes first. I mean, that's something we should be, it should be in the back of our mind every day. But what I believe is that we want to focus on that encounter with Jesus, that He is coming in some way into my life today and the next day, and the next day, you know, in the circumstances of my daily life, that expectant waiting, watch, be alert, don't miss him, don't miss the opportunity to encounter him in a, in a situation, in somebody else, 
uh, encounter him in, the, in his real presence, in, in tabernacle, whatever. In some way, Jesus is coming into my life today, probably many times, and I need to be ready. I need to be watchful. I need to be alert. And I need to expect something to happen. If I'm looking for him, I'm going to find him today. And I don't want to let my guard down. I don't want to go to sleep. I don't want to get overwhelmed by the circumstances of getting ready for Christmas. I want to be focusing on encountering Jesus today. That requires work. I need to really work at this personally. This is hard for me. But I really believe that in some way, Jesus is going to become present to me today. And I do not want to miss that opportunity. Well, and, you know, the irony about this is that he is present to us at all times and filling all things because God is omnipresent. Uh, But there are these sort of thin spaces where we become aware of that. Uh, And, you know, there there are uh, all kinds of ways to, to think about it. You know, the book of the scriptures and the book of nature, right? And then the uh, reality of Christ and the sacraments. We see him in his word, if we are to pay attention to that. Um, we see him in all of creation because, like any work of art, bears the fingerprints of the artist. Uh, everything in the world somehow, in some mysterious way, points to the God who made it. And then, of course, in the sacraments, we have that opportunity uh, on a daily basis at the parish level to go participate at, at daily Mass you know, a lot of it has to do with with our attention and our, our, our levels of sensibility. You know, there's this uh, quote that I use on my son because I'm a, you know, an annoying father. Uh, but whenever he says that he's bored or that there's nothing to do, I always go back to this quote from St. Jose Maria Escriva, who says, if you're bored, it's because you keep your senses awake and your soul asleep. <laughs> and I wow. think that that's one of the... To me, you know, if I'm having trouble, you know, connecting with God, recognizing his presence, it's usually because I've overstimulated myself with a whole bunch of other stuff. Right, right. And, and, and that's a, you bring up a really good point. The Lord is always there. He's always with me. He's, he's, he never goes away. He never goes on vacation. He's always with me. But I need to seek him out. I need to recognize. I need to maybe understimulate my senses a little bit so that I can focus on encountering him in, in a more spiritual way. Um, in, and, and, you know, the beautiful thing about him is once we start looking, he, he generally tends to step it up a little bit and make us aware of his presence. And, you know, especially right now, anybody who is struggling with uh, a situation, a difficult problem, a, a hopeless problem, if you will, if you want to call it that, we all have these things. That just don't appear to be getting any better. And if we really invite the Lord into that, we say, all right, Lord, I need you to help me with this. Please make your presence known. I really believe in some way he will. He doesn't always take the problem away. I've seen this time and time again. But there's, a, there's oftentimes a, a sense of, of hopefulness. It springs out of, out of despair. I've, I've seen it in my life there. I start to believe, well, you know what, maybe the Lord can handle this. I, you know what, I think this can work out. And, and that's really one of the ways that he makes himself aware to us. But in order to find him there, in order to encounter that, that uh, experience of the Lord's presence, we've got to do some work. And as you said, sometimes we need to unplug in order to do that. And it's going to be very challenging in the weeks ahead. That's why I wanted to talk about this today, because Advent hasn't officially started. And it's, it's better to get ready now and, uh, and be aware of the craziness that might happen so we can... We can really work hard 
at trying to find the Lord every day right where we are. Well, you mentioned that it might take a little work on our part to do some of these things, and that just kind of brings me back to the, the recent gospel that we heard about you know, recognizing Christ in the least of these by performing works of service for them. You know, one of the easiest and best ways that Jesus tells us to recognize him and to look for him is in other people, right? And right, often right. in imitating him by serving other people. So, you know, this is another way to kind of get, you know, shaken out of that complacency, out of that, you know, kind of headspace is to go uh, focus on somebody else's needs and anxieties and alleviating them for a minute, and it gives you a lot of perspective. It, it really does. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for me personally. Uh, sometimes it's easier for me to care about somebody about, about somebody who's poor, somebody who's struggling. I hear a story of somebody who doesn't have enough food to eat, and yeah, I can maybe do something. I can help in some way. I can contribute food. I can contribute some some sort of money to help this person who is really outside of my life or not directly involved in my life. Sometimes that's easy for me to do. And it's also easy for me to spend time with the Lord in prayer. It's something I enjoy doing. It brings me a lot of peace, and, and, and I really like that. What's hard for me sometimes, and I hate to say this, but maybe a member of my family, my immediate family, somebody right in my house needs something. Maybe I want to read instead. Maybe I want to watch TV. Maybe I want to pray. But I need to recognize that often, more often than not, the Lord is calling me to help those people around me, my wife, my daughters, somebody who needs me with what, in the big scheme of things, might not be a major problem, but to them it is. And to me, it's an opportunity to serve the Lord in serving those people around me. And sometimes it's somebody outside of my house who I just don't like. That's who the Lord's calling me to serve. That's when, for me, it becomes challenging to recognize that opportunity to serve Him through somebody that I would ordinarily overlook. Well, it is a rather convicting thought, uh, the idea that we would insist that Christ make his presence known to us when we're uh, not being present to the people who want us to be present to yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. A, kind of a, an odd little irony there, a convicting one. But, Gary, if our listeners want to connect with you, uh, maybe find some of the stuff you've done for Advent, uh, pick up uh, your book on Advent, how do they do so? Matt, the best place is to go to my website, followingthetruth.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's where you can find Finding Peace in Advent from Gary Zimak. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. All right, Matt. Thank you. God bless. 14 till. We're back right after this. Support is for MediShare. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. 
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. Adam Bly and I invite you to join us as we tackle the spirit world on EWTN Radio. Adam has assisted at thousands of solemn exorcisms and resolutions of hauntings. He also reaches out to educate people on the paranormal and the occult in our culture. Join us Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern for the spirit world on EWTN Radio. Sunrise Morning Show continues. It's always great to catch up with Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com, who's got a podcast he's been doing for a number of years with CatholicCulture.org called Way of the Fathers, and it's great to look at his City of God series because there are just so many things to know about cities we hear all the time in the liturgy but maybe don't know anything about. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. I mean, a lot of people sort of know about the Ephesians, but nobody really knows about the Ephesians, right? They show up as in, uh, I mean, I think for a lot of Catholics, the whole context they have is when the lector gets up and says, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. <laughs> and that's right. about it. And I, yeah, and that itself tells you that it was an important city for the early Christians. You know, St. Paul took the time to write to the Ephesians, and it's a letter that we have in sacred scripture. But that first generation, the apostolic generation, uh, must have considered Ephesus a very important place strategically, uh, because there it is, kind of right between uh, the uh, the the eastern lands, uh, you know, where the the apostles had come from, and Rome. It, it was just situated perfectly. It seems it was a a port city. It was multicultural. There were always different influences on the people there. It was it was fairly well off. You know, they they had the the means to build amazing amphitheaters and temples and everything because, as, as I said, it was a prosperous port. But you know, in terms of its um, uh, you know, its resources, its Christian resources. Think about this: Saint Paul founded the church there. Saint Timothy was its first bishop. Saint John lived there. And he lived there with the Virgin Mary, according to ancient traditions. So it, it's this city that was that was home for a time to to Paul, Timothy, John, and Mary. It's kind of a, an all-star cast there, and it continued that way through the time of the fathers. You know, we know that Saint Justin Martyr lived there. Saint Irenaeus knew the the church there well, and and, uh, and a major council of the church was held there in the in the early fifth century. So uh, it, it really does. Uh, show up in ancient history, ancient Christian history, very often and in very important ways. Well, I want to talk about that council in just a little bit, but I want to know first about the riot of the silversmiths. <laughs> well, that's that for me is one of the most entertaining passages in, in all of the New Testament. You know, St. Paul goes to Ephesus, and uh, it, it's told in, in Acts chapter 19. Uh, and of course, he's doing his work there, and he's having great success Right, he he converts many people, and the silversmiths 
who make the little souvenirs, <laughs> the little tchotchkes that they sell at the Temple of Artemis, the Temple of Diana, as the Romans knew her. Uh, uh, they're, they're mad because they're losing business to this guy. He's converting all all these people to Christianity and convincing them that idols are just dead. They're not real divinities. They're not real, really divine. They're they're just uh, they're just images. And um, and so so uh, the the silversmiths get pretty angry and they um. They, they they kind of get riled up by by one one silversmith in particular and uh, and he whips them into something of a frenzy. Now at that point, the officials of the city come out and they try to quell what's happening, the demonstration before it becomes a riot, because riots were something to be feared in the ancient world. Uh, they could get out of hand, people could get killed, and the Roman authorities did not like riots. Uh, you know they did not like that level of disorder, so they tended to punish them extremely severely. Uh, one time in in Thessalonica, um, in the in the fourth century, the the emperor had uh, well a riot there got out of hand, and uh, the emperor had the entire uh, the entire population massacred in the stadium afterwards. So riots could have terrible consequences, and that's what we see happening there in the 19th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, there is that moment of danger when this this demonstration could turn into a riot. It looks like it's about to turn into a riot, and uh, and, and they're able to calm it down. Well, that's a handy key to unlocking a lot of stories throughout the history of Christianity and its relationship with various governments is sometimes the governments have a theological problem with Christianity. Most often they have a problem with, like, the peace getting disturbed. <laughs> right? Well, well, yeah, there is that. Yeah. Now, and there are times, you know, we find through through the, the age of the fathers, when, when Christianity was illegal, the public authorities would sometimes allow a riot to go out of hand. Uh, because they um, they they wanted uh, an action to take place uh, against the Christians, but they didn't have the legal means to do it. So they would allow the uh, the 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 mob to do their work for them. There are more than a few occasions of that as well. But let's talk about this Council of Ephesus that you mentioned in the fifth century, because it's very. I mean, I don't think people realize how often we lean on the decisions and conclusions of that council. Well, you know, sometimes you'll you'll see non-Catholic uh, historians say that Catholic Mariology was invented at the Council of Ephesus, but that's not true. What happened at the Council of Ephesus is that, is that the, the, the Bishop of Constantinople was, was called on the carpet by the church, so to speak, because he, um, he was teaching that Mary, the Virgin Mary, should not be called Mother of God. She should not be called the God-bearer, because no one precedes God in time, and a mother must precede her son in time. So you could call her Mother of Christ, you can call her by a lot of titles, but you shouldn't call her Mother of God. That's what he was saying. And the people said, you know, this doesn't ring right, because Christians have always addressed her as Mother of God. This is in the songs that we were taught by our grandparents, and they were taught by their grandparents. So it didn't ring right with the people, and, and not surprisingly, uh, there were almost riots over this in Constantinople. So the emperor summoned a council to hear uh, the, the bishop, Nestorius, out and to, to make a judgment on it. 
Um, and uh, the council was to be in Ephesus, which is a city, as I said before, that had that had uh, associations with the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, since since uh, the first century. So the bishops met there in Ephesus, and they heard Nestorius give his side of the story, and then they heard. St. Cyril of Alexandria give testimony in favor of the tradition, and Cyril was able to demonstrate, using documentary record, that uh, that Christians had always addressed Mary as mother of God. Uh, you know, he showed evidence uh, that, that, that we can still see today. You know, the oldest, the oldest hymn that we have uh, with music is something that was found in the Egyptian sands, and it's a Marian hymn. It's the Subtuum Presidium we know it as in the West. Um, so, so, so there, there is that. Uh, Origen addressed Mary as Mother of God, according to Cyril, and then every many other many other uh, saints uh, of the Church did in the um, in the third and fourth centuries. So, Cyril is often called the Crown of the Fathers. Uh, not because he invented Marian doctrine or Marian devotion, but because he simply crowned it. He brought it all together in one place, and he gave it its definitive argument. Now, the, the bishops meeting it at Ephesus confirmed that Mary could be called Mother of God, and, and uh, traditional Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, Catholic Christianity, has referred to her uh, by that title ever since. Well, thank you so much, Mike Aquilina. We're back with another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break on most of these stations. It's three minutes till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. As we head towards the end of the month of November, dedicated to the holy souls in purgatory, let's pray for them again in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, lead your people home. Remember your Son's paschal sacrifice for their sake, and look upon them with mercy. Forgive the sins they have committed through human weakness, and may the angels bring them to your side. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon them. Loving Father, who pour out your love abundantly upon all who seek you, draw unto yourself the souls of all the faithful departed, that they who strove to live by the light of your law while here on earth may by our prayers be rushed to their heavenly reward. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. It is a better way to start a Wednesday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Very grateful to all the affiliates that carry our show. I know a lot of you are having membership drives or pledge drives or end-of-year drives of various kinds, especially coming off of Giving Tuesday. If you have one of those local affiliates providing the Sunrise Morning Show to you, please do consider being generous to them. Up this hour... Father Philip Michael Tangora will have some more uh, unpacking of synod stuff. He, of course, is a pastor and a canon lawyer, joins us from New Jersey. Carlo Broussard is going to talk about Christian morality and uh, how it is not meant to be or meant to be understood as bigotry. It is 
much, much bigger than that. Uh, Father Augustine Weta is going to be along. Uh, the importance of hearing contrary opinions when making a decision. That's what we're going to talk about today as we look through the Desert Fathers. And then Dr. Matthew Bunsen along at the end of the hour as well from EWTN News. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis is pulling out of his planned trip to the COP28 climate meeting in Dubai. The Vatican said the Pope is continuing to deal with the effects of the flu as he recovers from it, along with lung inflammation, and his doctors requested that he cancel the trip. The 86-year-old Holy Father was due to travel to the Middle East this weekend for three days. The Pope did agree to stay home, the Vatican says, with great regret. The Holy See is looking into ways that he could still join the discussions remotely. The Holy Father did keep his general audience today and continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal. He also appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza, which was just extended so that all the hostages might be freed and the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. Meanwhile, 12 more hostages have been released by Hamas as part of the extended ceasefire deal with Israel. Yesterday's swap came after the temporary pause in fighting was extended an additional two days. In exchange, 30 additional Palestinian detainees were released from Israeli prisons. It's hoped that more swaps are on the horizon, even as both sides are claiming there have been violations of the ceasefire agreement. The Pentagon says missiles fired from a rebel-controlled area of Yemen in the direction of a Navy warship were not intended for the vessel. Trey Thomas reports. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder. Uh, I can't speak for what the intended target's target was uh, and, and would have to refer you to the, the Houthi rebels to talk to that. The missile landed near the USS Mason and a commercial tanker, but the Pentagon assessed they weren't singled out. I'm Trey Thomas. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter will be buried in her hometown of Plains in South Georgia today. The private service and burial follows a tribute service held yesterday at a church on Emory University's Atlanta campus. All living first ladies, former President Bill Clinton and President Joe Biden attended the service, along with hundreds of other mourners. Jimmy Carter made the trip from hospice, hospice care to Atlanta for the memorial service as well. The former president and Mrs. Carter had been married for 77 years. Pope Francis has sent a message to the International Development Law Organization, stressing to them the importance of laws that protect the human person and authorities who enforce them. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Holy See stands at the side of That soundbite does not appear to be working here. I'll pull up some quotes from him. He said the rule of law must be guaranteed by the authorities, quote, regardless of prevailing political interests. And when based on universal values, people have access to justice and societies are more stable and prosperous. He says it can play an essential role in resolving global crises, renewing trust and the legitimacy of public governance, combating inequalities, promoting well-being, 
fostering the protection of fundamental rights, encouraging adequate participation in decision-making, and facilitating the development of laws and policies that meet real needs, thus contributing to creating a world in which all people are treated with dignity and respect. Consumer confidence is on the rebound after three straight monthly declines. The Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index rose three points in November. And the National Park Service says the lighting of the National Christmas tree will go on tomorrow. However, the tree fell over yesterday afternoon after strong winds blew through President's Park near the White House. The tree was pulled upright and a cable was replaced, and the Park Service was assessing damage to lights and decorations last night. This year's tree was placed in the park rather than being planted, and the Park Service says it plans to evaluate that decision after the holiday season. So this is the – where was it when it – President's Park. Have you ever been there? It's apparently near the White House. Okay, if it's near the White House. I was just going to say, if a tree falls and it's nowhere near a forest, like, what's what's that sound like? It sounds like Washington, Matt. It does. It sounds like Washington. Well, I mean, we celebrate the little victories. They call it a Christmas tree, so, I mean. The National Christmas Tree. It's true. National Christmas Tree. Is it National Christmas Tree Awareness Day? No. It's always a national something day, so I just didn't know. I'm now aware of the national what Christmas tree, so maybe it is national Christmas tree aware day. National day. Let's see. Oh, I don't even want to know what the name is. Probably going to be like national. Like, Did you know there's a national day, day calendar? Oh, yeah. What? What is today's national day? National Package Protection Day was yesterday. Okay. I got nothing. Electronic Greetings Day. Okay. Well, some send of these an are... e-card, Matt. Uh, I'm going to send you an e-card. Okay. Electronic greetings to Matt today. Neat. Well, thank you for that. We'll <sighs> look forward to that, Greg. You know, one of these days we're going to have to talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora about our liturgical, our inherent liturgical sensibilities as human people. Can I just and, say one thing about this real yeah, quick? Because go ahead. isn't it interesting that Advent is a time of deprivation and darkness and sacrifice leading up to a feast, and that Lent is a time of darkness and deprivation and sacrifice leading up to a feast, and that Giving Tuesday is a day of leftovers after a feast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have the whole thing backwards in like materialist society. That's all I'm going to end of rant. Sorry. You are not kidding. You are not kidding. There we are. Father, this will be a, a discussion for another day. <laughs> another day. Father Philip yeah. Michael Tangora back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, and author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Father, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. So Bishop Robert Barron of Word on Fire fame, he was one of the participants mm-hmm. at the assembly for the Synod on Synodality in October, uh, spent that month in Rome, in deliberations, I believe they were doing this six days a week. And he has just recently put out a piece at Word on Fire with uh, some of his reflections on it, now a little more than a month um, after leaving Rome. 
Can you give us, in general, a sense of what he had to say in this, first of all? Well, first, he, he provided a very positive outlook on the Synod in regards his experience of the universality of the Catholic Church, of the different ways that uh, people were coming, the different perspectives, and how that even changed some of his ways of thinking, because when you're encountering people from church in all other different countries and areas, you're obviously going to have these different perspectives and not see things exactly how he would see them in the pastoral and administrative experiences he's had in Illinois, California, uh, etc. Yeah. Okay. So there are a couple of quotes in here that I'd like mm -hmm. for you to unpack. And I want to start with um, his, ac actually, it's his third area of interest slash concern, as he put it, yes. uh, the notion of mission. So he writes this, there was, at least to my mind, a fair amount of ambiguity around the meaning of the word itself. Judging from what we mm -hmm. read in the Instrumentum Laboris, mission seemed more often than not to designate the church's work in favor of social justice and the betterment of the economic and political situation of the poor. Conspicuous by their absence in the texts on mission were references to sin, grace, redemption, cross, resurrection, eternal life, and salvation. And this represents a real danger. So that's what he said. Why? Do you yeah. agree with him? I absolutely agree with him. Uh, the primary... And sole purpose of the Catholic Church is the salvation of souls, period, end of statement. In the effusion of the gospel in the world, uh, which is primarily there for the salvation of souls, just the way uh, Augustine, uh, in his dictum that, that was then later quoted by Galileo about how the scriptures tell us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Mm -hmm. The whole purpose of scripture and tradition, the whole purpose of divine revelation, the whole purpose of the mission of the church, the sacraments, etc., are the salvation of souls, period, end of statement. In that act of bringing about the salvation of souls, obviously, we need to care for the whole human person, all right? Because holiness is W-H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S. -S. Yes, holiness. All right. So we need to take care of the heart, mind, body, and the soul. All right. Mm -hmm. So that as we learned in the gospel education. last weekend, exactly. Yeah. And so therefore we have to take care of the poor, the sick, the disenfranchised, those in prison, those who are homeless, those who are needy and and, and, need, and need want. All right. So then we need to provide for all people and all this that is secondary but even if we look in the fourth Eucharistic prayer, which is the adaptation of St. Basil's anaphora, what we see is that he proclaimed salvation to the poor mm. and freedom to captives. And that freedom was primarily a spiritual freedom. That was the whole issue with Judas. He didn't come for social political amelioration of the land of Israel and Judah. He came for the salvation of their souls, yeah. for their spiritual liberation. So obviously this is very important 
And I wholeheartedly agree. Canon law and Canon 1752 in the Latin code makes clear that the supreme law of the church is the salvation of souls, period, end of statement. You know, as I was reading this, it kind of occurred to me that perhaps those who were drafting this and those who um, who are of the same mind, this idea of mission being the church's work in favor of social justice, perhaps are stuck in the past a little bit in that um, meaning that you kind of take Christendom for granted and maybe they just assume that people think that the humanitarian work of the church is because we are Catholic. And, well, I think that that kind of overlooks the fact that we are in essentially a post-Christian society anymore where I don't think that we can take that for granted. We must proclaim Christ as we, uh, as we work for social justice. And that was the whole point of John Paul II's encyclical Redemptoris Missio. Yeah. All right. There we are. So, yes, the church uh, definitely needs to make sure that that's always understood. The primary purpose of the church is the salvation of souls. There we go. Now, another quote from Bishop Barron in here. He says, another principal theme of the synod discussions was the play or perceived tension between truth and love. And um, Mm -hmm. a lot of this having to do with sexual morality, particularly um, surrounding uh, the LGBT discussion. So can you talk a little bit about that before we let you go? Yeah, sure. Well, the issue of moral development on human sexuality, which is what he was addressing, and the the synod is obviously addressing. Quote, unquote, moral uh, development, yeah. Yes. I really, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, Bishop Barron's defense of the theology of the body and the rich treasury of moral theology that the church has, because that seemed to have been denigrated and disrespected by a lot of the people at the Synod. The fact, though, remains two people of the same sex lack the necessary sexual complement to produce life. All right. And so, like Bishop Barron is saying, this will never change. And even surgical intervention does not provide for natural, unifying, dignified and dignified both ways concerning the parties reproducing and the life created, you know, a dignified act of reproduction. So the etiology and psychology of the LGBT may lead to a reform of paragraphs 2357 through 2359 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, especially the citation of persona humana, which refers to human sexual per, uh, homosexual persons as intrinsically disordered. But the reality remains of human sexuality being ordered unto the procreation of the species, and that is unchanging. Yep. Good stuff. And I would, there encourage, we are. I would encourage folks to go read Bishop Aaron's thoughts on this. Um, very interesting and insightful piece that he wrote over at Word on Fire. We've been talking about it with Father Philip Michael Tangora, and you can find his book, Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Talk about insightful. You can find it linked at <laughs> sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Yeah, buy it, send it to your friends for family, and then make their heads spin. God bless. <laughs> Absolutely. You too, Father. Thank you. All right, at 17 past, we got headlines coming up next. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. 
With our founders and Daniel Combonias and inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests served for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. As the largest religious media network in the world, EWTN has an important role in educating others about our Catholic faith and spreading the good news of salvation. We invite you to explore our numerous pages of historical faith documents, prayers, teachings, and other current issues in Catholicism today. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 19 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. At the request of his doctors, Pope Francis has now canceled his trip to Dubai that was scheduled for this weekend to attend at the COP28 climate meeting. The Holy Father did participate in his general audience today, and 12 more hostages have been released by Hamas as part of an extended ceasefire deal with Israel news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, I've talked to so many people who coming off the Thanksgiving holiday got some bug or other. It sounds like the Holy Father is in the mix of that. Yeah. So I'm on uh, antibiotics for strep throat. Oh boy. I know, right? Uh, looking forward to hanging out with you this weekend. I should be all better by the time I you're here. So. Gosh, well, you're going to be here tomorrow afternoon. I know. I'm so pumped. Yeah, I gotta like pack get some. You gotta get some, pack. Uh, get some nice outfits together. Yeah, I gotta go. We gotta take pictures. Hang out with decent people. It's twenty-one past. Lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence, the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Three minutes past the hour, you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us this morning. Carlo Broussard is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is an apologist with Catholic Answers, host of the Sunday Catholic Word podcast that you can find at mrsundaypodcast.com. Invite him to speak at your parish through catholicanswersspeakers.com. We've been going through his book, the new relativism. Good morning, Carlo. Carlo, are you there? Oh, we've lost Carlo. Matt, are you there? I'm there. <clears throat> we've been having some trouble with the phone lines lately. Yeah, we really have. We're getting him back on the line here. But why don't we revisit while we're uh, waiting to get him on, and I'll just let Paul start playing the music again when he's back. Um what we were talking about just before Father Tangora came on. Oh, secular liturgies? Secular liturgies. Because I do think this is a we've we talk about this, but it is kind of interesting that we have this like secular liturgical calendar, so to speak, that you know, we have all these national days. What did I say today was national Oh, I have to send you like an e-card. Send, send, send electronic an e greeting day. Well, what you'll note about all of these is that they all seem to have either a political uh, connection mm -hmm. or a consumerist connection. Mm -hmm. So they all have to do with um, something having political importance or something but I encouraging think... you to go buy a specific sure, kind but of I'd, thing. But it appeals to this... Sensibility. We want our life to have like seasons in it. Yeah. E even the most secular person in the world. But what's it fascinating about Advent? Days. Advent, you fast, you party. Lent, you fast, you party. Giving Tuesday, you party, and then oh, I guess we should probably do something to make up for all the all the I partying. Guess. Well, church we, has it in the right order. They really do, for sure. We really do. Carlo is now on the line with us. Carlo, good morning. Hey, good morning, Anna. Sorry about those technical difficulties. Not a problem, man. We're happy to have you on. So as we continue through your book, we've been talking about the chapter, Thou Shalt Not Be a Judgmental, Hateful Bigot. And we left off last time talking about a quote from CNN's Don Lemon, who basically said, you know, Christians just need to sit down and break bread 
with people who identify as LGBTQ because then Christians would be okay with those lifestyle choices. And I mean, not to say that there aren't some self-identifying Christians who are bigoted or judgmental. I, I know those people exist. But to make a sweeping statement like this, I think, represents a, a rather big misunderstanding of Christians. Can you explain why? Yeah, because notice the implicit assumption there. If we break bread, get to know them, we'll see that they're nice people. But wait a minute, why would you think that we as Christians think they're not nice people? So notice the assumption is that we Christians reject their lifestyle choices because we think they're somehow ill-motivated, like lust addicts and seeking uh, out those lifestyles. And, but that's not the case. We as Christians, well, are there some Christians who might think that? Sure. But at least the, the Church and Christians reject the lifestyle choices ordinarily and normally based upon reasons, principled reasons, as to why such human behavior is contrary to our human good and therefore immoral. And notice, too, Anna, that there is this implicit judgment upon our motivations as Christians without sufficient evidence. And so that would be rash judgment. And so this sort of statement from Don Lemon is guilty of the very judgmentalism that these sort of people often charge us as Christians of being because they're judging our motivations for rejecting their lifestyle choices without sufficient evidence. But we're not rejecting those lifestyle choices based upon uh, uh, our thoughts about them being ill-motivated. We reject them in principle because they're contrary to our human good. Yeah. Can you explain more why the Church says that they are contrary to our human good? Yes, I go into some detail in my book on this, and I also have a, quite a few articles that Catholic.com listeners can go and check out. But the bottom line, Anna, is that these sorts of lifestyle choices, take, for example, same-sex sexual activity, it's a voluntary use of the reproductive power while actively thwarting its natural end. Mm. And in that sort of activity, you have an inherent perversity or a disorder of the action in that particular human, be- in that behavior, you have a lack of a due order. There is a privation there. There is a lack of the order that nature has deemed for that sort of activity. It would be kind of like you voluntarily looking at the sun in order to damage your eye, or voluntarily putting your ear up to a blasting speaker in order to damage your hearing or voluntarily using your power to eat, taking in food while vomiting it up in order not to be fat, right? Or to to take in the nutrients, to impede, voluntarily use the power while impeding or thwarting its natural goal or end is a perversion of that power and thus contrary to our human good. And so because it's contrary to reason, Anna, it's contrary to our nature as reasonable agents or rational animals. And so it's something that we ought to avoid, uh, and, and it's not appropriate human behavior. 
Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We've run out of time, but we'll pick it up there the next time we get together. In the meantime, you can find the new relativism linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can get Carlo out to your parish to speak about this and many other topics through catholicanswerspeakers.com. Carlo, thank you. Thank you, Anna. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. At the request of his doctors, Pope Francis has canceled his trip to Dubai this weekend for the COP28 climate meeting. Holy See Press Director Matteo Bruni released a statement saying, quote, even though the Holy Father's general health situation has improved in relation to the flu and respiratory tract inflammation he has been suffering from, his doctors have asked the Pope not to undertake his scheduled visit to Dubai in the coming days, end quote. The 86-year-old Pope was due to travel to the Middle East this weekend for three days. The Pope agreed to stay home, the Vatican says, with, quote, great regret. Bruni maintained that the Pope's condition is good and stabler. The Vatican is looking into ways that he can still join discussions remotely. The Holy Father did keep his general audience today, continuing his catechesis series on apostolic zeal. He also appealed for the continuation of the ceasefire in Gaza so that all the hostages might be freed and the necessary humanitarian aid might be able to enter. Meanwhile, 12 more hostages have been released by Hamas as part of the extended ceasefire deal with Israel. Yesterday's swap came after a temporary pause in fighting was extended for an additional two days. In exchange, 30 additional Palestinian detainees were released from Israeli prisons. The Holy See has released the Pope's December prayer intention and video asking for prayers for people with disabilities. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Let us pray that people with disabilities may be at the center of attention in society and that institutions offer inclusion programs that enhance their active participation. In the video, the Pope acknowledged that people with disabilities are among the most fragile among us. Some of them suffer rejection, he added, that is rooted in either ignorance or prejudice, which then marginalizes them. Pope Francis therefore urged civil institutions to put in place projects that provide access to education, employment, and places where they can express their creativity. Along with the inclusion of people with disabilities in society, the Pope said they need to be accompanied with big hearts. It means changing our mentality a little and opening ourselves to the abilities and talents of these people who are differently abled, he said, both in society as well as in the life of the church. The Pope invited the local churches to work toward increased access and involvement as integral members of parish life. Creating a completely accessible parish does not only mean eliminating physical barriers, he said. It also assumes that we stop talking about them and start talking about us. The Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network, which prepares the Holy Father's monthly intention, released a press statement to note that December 3rd marks the International Day of People with Disabilities. Cardinal Michael Cherney, Prefect of the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, said the December prayer intention helps us recognize the mystery each person is. Our very often non-inclusive societies, said Cardinal Cherney, need a common and concrete commitment so that following Jesus' example, everyone's dignity might be respected. I'm Devin Watkins. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter will be buried today in her hometown of Plains, Georgia. 
The private service in Varial follows a tribute service held yesterday at a church on Emory University's Atlanta campus. All living first ladies, former President Bill Clinton and President Joe Biden attended the service, along with hundreds of other mourners. Jimmy Carter was in attendance coming to Atlanta from hospice care. The 41 trapped construction workers in a collapsed tunnel in the Himalayas are now all safe. Mark Mayfield reports. Officials said Indian rescuers drilled for days through the debris to reach them. The low-wage workers from some of the country's poorest areas were trapped for 17 days. The tunnel originally caved in on November 12th. The men were pulled out on stretchers through a three-foot-wide steel pipe. Officials welcomed the first man out with a marigold flower garland, greeting him in the traditional Indian style. I'm Mark Mayfield. Consumer confidence is on the rebound after three straight monthly declines. The conference board's consumer confidence index rose three points in November. The board's chief economist noted improved confidence about future business conditions, job availability, and incomes. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past. The Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. Paul is known as a missionary and a preacher, but did you know that he was also a fundraiser? As he traveled to the different cities of Asia Minor and Greece, he took up a collection to be sent to Jerusalem. This collection was to be an act of charity towards the Christians who were there to show that not only do all the churches share the communion of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but they also help to provide for the material needs of each other. The point is this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves the cheerful giver. God is always generous with his people, and he asks them to be generous as well. One reason is that it establishes a deeper communion with the broader, more universal church. In the archdiocese, some parishes have adopted a poor parish in another part of the world, and they send prayers as well as material things to help them. Not all of us can be missionaries or work with the poor or even run a radio station. But as St. Paul writes, we can be cheerful because our prayers and material gifts unite us with those who do these apostolic activities. And in that, we share in their mission, which is the mission of Jesus Christ to spread his gospel through the world. And this is what we learn from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's time for some old monk wisdom. Get to talk about it with Father Augustine Weta, who wrote a book called Pray, Think, Act, Make Better Decisions with the Desert Fathers. Father Weta, good morning. <laughs> good morning. I can't get over that jazzy intro music you got going. That's great. Well, we, we tried to pick something extra monastic to introduce this. <laughs> <song>. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, today's conversation is going to be a fun one because if my notes serve me correctly, we get to talk about a young philosopher who went out into the desert to find a monk, and uh, it wasn't the most pleasant of experiences. I wonder if you could share that story with us. Yeah, this one, this one, I always say it's my favorite, but this one really is. Um, it's, a, it's one of the longer ones, but I love it. Uh, a young philosopher uh, went into the desert seeking wisdom and apprenticed himself for three years to an abbot who did, <laughs> sorry, who did nothing but insult him. Every day the monk would wake up, insult the philosopher, demand payment, and dismiss him. At the end of three years, he told the young man to leave. Well, thinking to himself he had wasted his time, the philosopher headed for Athens, where he heard there was real wisdom to be learned. There he found a bum sitting at the city gates, taunting the people who passed. When the philosopher passed by, of course, the old scoundrel mocked him as well, but the young man laughed. Well, why do you laugh when I taunt you, asked the bum. Because I've been paying for that for three years, and you just gave it to me for free. And the old man bowed low and said, the city is yours. <laughs> There's a lot to be garnered from this story, uh, but there one really of the is. one of the things that strikes me off the off the bat is that you know the philosopher. I guarantee you, when he went out of the desert, it wasn't for uh, being railed against by a monk. Uh, and I think right. that uh, sometimes we don't understand that the people who kind of poke at us and criticize us are in some ways doing us a little bit of a favor, right? Yeah, what, yeah. One of the uh, psalms says, "He who strikes or reproves me uh, is uh, does me justice." I think is how the psalm goes. Uh, but yeah, it's. Um, I hadn't actually thought of that until just now. But you're right. We we do tend to uh, surround ourselves. Well, well, actually, even unwittingly, my mother says that uh, when you get married, you choose your opposite, and then spend the rest of your life resenting them for it. <laughs> But, which is sort of the darker side, I suppose. But it's also true that we need something to balance our decisions. And um, when it comes to thinking about things, we actually, we have a tendency to make the choice and then try to find people who agree with us. Um, I, I was just actually thinking while I was prepping for this show that when we interview someone for a job, we ask them for references. Well, we... <laughs> And, of course, they're going to give us references of people who think they're great. But what we really ought to do is find someone who really despises the guy, interview them, and then if we still think we want him, well, then you really got a good deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is a great point. You know, I've been thinking about this actually a lot in, in a whole bunch of different contexts, and I was so glad when I saw this story come up uh, for this very reason. So I think a lot of us are willing to engage opinions that disagree with us, but usually not until we've already surrounded ourselves with a whole bunch of yeah. people who can agree with us so that when that person opposes us, we can get together with our friends and be like, look how stupid this person is, right? Yeah. This actually, that may sound like a thing that maybe is a problem with you and your circle of friends, but this is a problem with politicians. This is a problem in parishes with pastors, uh, right? This is a problem with well, people who work in apostolates and ministries. This is a problem with every level of leadership, leaders surround themselves with people who are like, 
yes, boss, that's a great idea. Oh, yeah. that person just doesn't like you. That's the only reason they disagree. We all have a tendency to do this. Yeah, well, it was disastrous consequences. Oh, yeah. I, I, the, um, I think we call this, or psychologists call it confirmation bias. That we, we, well, we do it with the way we read news, right? Or the way we fly airplanes. I, I was just listening. <laughs> I listened to a podcast called Cautionary Tales, and they talked about how how much respect the the pilot of a plane gets. But really, that can be disastrous sometimes if the pilot's really off base, and his co-pilot, for example, has too much respect to tell him, you know, you're heading for a mountain. <laughs> and especially, well, uh, yeah, the. Um, uh, yeah, I, well, or on, on a sort of more micro level where we go out to eat, you know, I'll say, well, is this good? And what do I expect the waiter to tell me? You know, no, no, that's disgusting. Order something else. <laughs> <laughs> of course he's going to say it's good, you know. Um, I, I used to really love, well, I still do actually on a certain way, in a certain way, Charles, uh, Richard Dawkins, who, who, uh, Wrote well. He became rather a famous atheist later on in his life, but he started off as an evolutionary biologist. He used to carry around his book with me. So when I heard him on the radio debating a theologian, I, I turned the volume up because I really liked this guy. But uh, at one point, I think this theologian was a fundamentalist Baptist or something, and and they were going back and forth. And the Baptist says. Um, or the Baptist says, well, I don't believe in evolution. And Dawkins says, oh, yeah, you have a degree in science? And the theologian says, oh, no, why? Do you have a degree in theology? And, and both of them, I think, lost the argument then, <laughs> because neither of them, I, they were at least talking to someone who disagreed, but not really listening to each other, as you suggest. So when it comes to thinking about your decision, you know, consulting someone deliberately even going out of your way to consult someone who disagrees with you, and then really giving them the time of day, uh, really giving what they, their advice some serious consideration, is, 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 not just, is, is not just praiseworthy, it's essential. Well, this is something that is so, as you say, essential when it comes to the Christian life, because let's think about it. Uh, I've surrounded myself here on the radio with people who tend to like the things I say and agree with them, and yeah. guess what? I tend to focus on certain things that I care about and things that I'm comfortable discussing what I need to improve on, but there's some things that I probably should be improving on that aren't top of my mind and that other people can right. spot from space <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. that other I need to fix, and it might be helpful to involve some of those other people in those conversations from time to time. Yeah, other people's problems are much easier to point out, aren't they? They sure uh, are. But but on the other hand, and I, I hadn't actually thought of it until just now, you do want to surround yourself with people who will make you better. You know, I, I'm not going to go find a bunch of Nazis and hang out with them, right? Yeah, you because know, they you know they do disagree <laughs> with you. I know I know you know this. <laughs> but I'm not going to get you know you don't want to be so open minded that you your brain falls out, right? But but you do want to choose wise people who think differently from yourself, and, and give them the time of day, right? Yeah, and be grateful when they give you the time of day as well. Father Augustine yeah. Weta, we've got your book. It's called Pray, Think, Act, Make Better Decisions with the Desert Fathers. It's been an absolute delight to go through this. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. We're back right after this with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. It's a quarter till.
Support is for MetaShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MetaShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MetaShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MetaShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MetaShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Conversations with Consequences, where we delve deeper into issues affecting our church, our country, and our core, the family. As Catholics, we need to be informed, aware, and able to talk through some of the tough topics that we're facing in our culture and in our world. Conversations with Consequences gives us the tools to do so. It's not enough to pray. We have to be a light for the world. Conversations with Consequences, this Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Coming up later this morning on More to Life. We'll be taking your calls and helping you celebrate the life you were meant to live. Tune in to More to Life, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 Central on EWTN Radio. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 Till, here's Anna with headlines. At the request of his doctors, Pope Francis has canceled his trip to Dubai this weekend. Twelve more hostages have been released by Hamas in the extended ceasefire deal with Israel. And the Pope's December prayer intention is asking for prayers for people with disabilities. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. And we've got more news in the continuing saga involving the German bishops and their so-called synodal way. So last time we were together last week, about uh, we, we discussed a letter that Pope Francis had written to four lay women who basically removed themselves from the whole thing and expressed their concerns to the Holy Father, who then wrote them back, expressing his concerns about what is going on in Germany. And since we last spoke, there has been another salvo from Rome. Tell us about it. That's absolutely right. Uh, you stressed something that I think is important to note, and that is uh, the Holy Father apparently received that letter from the four German uh, professors, experts, uh, theologians, and journalists uh, on November 6th responded within four days. We now know that um, another letter was sent uh, to the, all of the German bishops 
and that was dated October 23rd, so actually before Pope Francis received his letter. So things were oh, wow. already in motion. Uh, I, I mention that because uh, the timelines now are, are increasingly important, given especially what's in this letter. The letter itself uh, was written uh, under the signature of Cardinal Pietro Parolin, who is the Vatican Secretary of State, and was sent specifically to the Secretary General of the German Bishops' Conference, someone by the name of Beate Gilles, and it was then distributed to all of the German bishops. And what it says, essentially, is a reminder uh, that uh, the ordination of women and changes to the Church's teachings on homosexuality and previous homosexual acts cannot be subjects of discussion in what are expected to be upcoming meetings uh, in Rome with representatives of this German synodal way. So essentially, the, the Vatican is staking out its ground here as to what it is willing to talk about and what it isn't. And I think that's a pretty significant development, uh, as, you, as you noted, too, yeah. in this ongoing saga. Indeed. Uh, so, as you mentioned, this from the Vatican Secretary of State, not from the Pope himself, but does this have the force of the papacy behind it, do you think? Well, a letter like this uh, would not have been sent, uh, certainly without Pope Francis's uh, awareness, and uh, I'm certain uh, that uh, his involvement in the decision uh, had to have been present. What is notable, and one of the questions that's going to overhang some of this, uh, is what will be the role and what was the role of uh, Cardinal Fernandez, uh, who is, of course, the recently appointed uh, head for the uh, dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. His involvement uh, in these talks is going to obviously be crucial, given his position in, as doctrine chief of the Church. So that's uh, one question that's still overhanging this. Uh, however, a letter like this doesn't go out, uh, certainly not to the entire German episcopacy, as we have seen previously, uh, without Pope Francis's awareness. Yeah, and, and you're alluding to the fact this is definitely not the first time that that Rome has has tried to get the German bishops to sort of pump the brakes on on some of these issues that they're trying to discuss. But do you have any insight as to why all of this is is happening now? It just seems like a barrage all of a sudden. Yes, I think there are a couple things at work. Uh, the, the first is that we know that, uh, I was just mentioning, that representatives of the Synodal Way are heading to Rome. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we anticipate they're going to be having uh, discussions in January and the gap. Second, uh, the Germans themselves have pushed ahead with their plan, or intend to, uh, to create a permanent Synodal Council. In other words, they, that you and I have talked about just last week, uh, a, a council that would essentially run the German church instead of uh, the German church being run as it's supposed to be by the German bishops exclusively. Let's remember also that this synodal council is going to be comprised of lay people, uh, comprised mostly of members of a radical lay organization called the Central Committee of German Catholics. They are, are going to have their own meetings, including a, a large gathering soon in Augsburg. And then we have uh, just finished uh, the Synod on Synodality, and that was specifically referenced in this letter as well by Cardinal Parolin, uh, where it says that the considering, and I'm quoting now, considering the course of the German synodal way so far, one must first realize that a universal synodal way is currently taking place, convened by the Holy Father. Therefore, it is necessary to respect this path of the universal Church, 
and to avoid the impression that parallel initiatives are underway that are indifferent to the effort of to journey together. This is not the first time also that, that Pope Francis himself has made this point. And we can go all the way back, as you know, to June of 2019 when the Holy Father was asking the Germans not to go down this road, but down this road they went. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to this timeline issue that you were mentioning because you said this letter was actually sent prior to the letter that was was written to these German professors and journalists. Um, why is it coming out after the letter from Pope Francis? Do we have any well, insight we, into that? Yeah, I think uh, we know that uh, this was uh, first reported uh, on the Catholic side by CNA Deutsch, which is the CNA's German language news partner. Uh, so it's essentially the Catholic news agency. It's one of the really increasingly important uh, news outlets that yeah. we have as part of EWTN News. Uh, but it was then itself posted uh, in a German newspaper uh, on just a couple of days ago by the, the German paper Tagespost. So essentially this is a, a series of leaks or a series of uh, publications of these documents. The timing itself is achieved simply in this case by the revelation uh, of the letter, but we now know that, uh, that this actually went at the end of October. That's notable, as I said, because uh, here we are. Uh, we were still basically uh, at work in the Synod uh, when this letter was published, was sent specifically to uh, the German bishops. Wow. Wow. And, I mean, this is kind of a line in the sand, it seems like, uh, ahead of these meetings, as you were just talking about. I mean, is it, this is something that the bishops really cannot ignore now or can't cover up at this point now that now that these leaks have happened well the, the position of the german bishops uh, the, in particular uh, bishop Georg Batesing, who's the president of the german episcopal conference who is at the synod on synodality was that they came out of the synod claiming that they feel fully vindicated and fully validated in their work uh, because of the discussions that were had at the so synod. for that <laughs> so, so far we hope so far, they have seen little disposed uh, to stop this process. We'll see what happens. So there have to be some next steps and some consequences, even this letter from Cardinal Paroline points out. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. You can read more about all of this uh, through EWTN News and, of course, the Catholic News Agency and the National Catholic Register all have stories up for you to dig into this a little more deeply. You can find EWTN News linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's where you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis. Go to the show notes at our website and click on that. And then also about an hour after we go on the air, we off the air, that is, uh, we've got a local hour coming up here uh, for our Cincinnati Dayton audience, um, you can find the podcast in those show notes as well. SONRiseMorningShow.com. So that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.